All right, Christ Community Church, this morning we are going to be in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So if you would be turning in your Bibles, and as you're turning there, uh, I just want to remind you that this has been our congregational response to the call to worship throughout the Proverbs series. And this was just a good opportunity for having confessed those words uh, over the first nine chapters of Proverbs, and as we are going to be stepping back in topically to the book of Proverbs, this is just a great opportunity for us to delve into the true meaning of those words. And so, uh, as you are turning there this morning, the key truth that we want to walk away with is that God's wisdom mortifies our bitter jealousies and selfish ambitions while also humbly producing the fruits of repentance and the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read that again. God's wisdom mortifies our bitter jealousies and selfish ambitions while also humbly producing the fruits of repentance and the fruit of the Spirit. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning, this is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we step into this text this morning, the first question that I have for us is what actually evidences to you that someone is wise and has understanding according to God's wisdom? Now, there is a distinction here because I think uh, so often within the earthly realm, we determine that someone is wise and understanding based on what they know, based on the advice that they can give us. Well, that's, that's actually the earthly way of determining whether or not someone is wise and understanding. The biblical way, according to God's wisdom, is to look at how their words play out in their deeds. If there's a dissonance or, or a lack of continuity between someone's words and their deeds, then they are not actually truly wise according to God's wisdom, according to the Bible. So what we here see again is that God's wisdom should produce in both word and deed a Christ-likeness in us all. And it's something that we should all strive for and seek to attain. And so just by way of reminder, since we're stepping back into this series after going through the Advent series, and we're going to be looking at different topics and Proverbs, I don't want us to forget the fear of the Lord and what that means. And I don't want us to forget what Proverbs is trying to shape us into, that we would be righteous and just and equitable. And so I want to read this. This is a quote from J. Alec Motier uh, about the fear of the Lord. Listen at the way that he frames it. I, I think he, he captures this beautifully. He says, Our fear of the Lord, then, is a proper reverence which makes them inseparable. Our fear then is a proper reverence for one who has made himself known and whom we therefore know for ourselves. But the Bible nowhere places much value on knowledge that remains merely cerebral or creedal. Nothing is known until it also reshapes the life. For this reason, 
The way of wisdom is the way of obedience. Knowledge at its deepest is living out a deep personal relationship. So for us to say that we fear the Lord means that we, 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 we revere Him, we are in awe of Him as creator and lawgiver and redeemer uh, and reconciler, that we would be in relationship with Him. You can't say that you know someone. You cannot say that you have a, a true knowledge of something that you have no relationship with. So this becomes critically important. This is why we can say the demons, they believe and tremble, but they have no reverence. They have no awe. They have no respect for the Creator. They have no desire to be in ongoing relationship. In fact, whenever we see Jesus encounter the demon-possessed, so often they want to get away from Him. They're, they're scared of Him. Whereas we, we are welcomed to Him. Come all ye who are heavy laden and burdened, and the Christ will give us rest. And so it's important that as we step back into this discussion on Proverbs, that we not forget the firm, firm foundation is our relational fear, awe, reverence, and desire for the Lord. So here we have, are picking up where, where James, in the middle of chapter 3, previously he had a discussion about that there should not be many among you who seek to be teachers because you're worthy of double judgment. And then he has a, a brilliant discussion on how the, the, the words can be insanely destructive and, and actually prove or disprove who we say we are. So he's turning back to the community of people and asking this opening question. So as we look back at the text, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 and see the poisoned fruits of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. But this opening question is critical. And it's one that we got to hear not as individuals, but as a community. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, this is a, a question that, that we should ask as a church, and we, we do periodically ask it whenever we take nominations for deacons or elders or whenever we're looking to, to anyone to serve as a leader of any kind, whether it's in children's ministry or youth ministry um, or, or any of the places where, where we teach or are engaged in shepherding. And so think of how uh, devastating it would be for us as a community to not be able to look around and answer this question. But we need some banks of the river, right? Because we, we tend to judge things based on some of the wrong metrics. Sometimes we look around for leaders and look for those who are successful in business. That's not a bad thing, and it can be very helpful. But it can't be the only thing. It can't even be the primary thing. We look around and we look for those who are bold, who speak up and speak out. Again, that can be very helpful. That's, that's a wonderful thing in leadership. But it can't be the primary thing, and it can't be the only thing. In fact, sometimes we just base it on knowledge. I mean, this person is really knowledgeable about theology or knowledgeable about some other topic. And again, that is really helpful. But it is not the, the thing that is most important from a biblical perspective when, when deciding who is, in fact, wise and has understanding among us. It's also important to recognize we're not asking this question as individuals. We're asking it as a community. It should be something that we, we desire to have present in our midst at all levels. Notice the answer. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, this term conduct is not just behavior, it's life. So how does this person conduct their lives? Well, it is, it is by his, how he lives, how this person lives, and it evidences that they are, in fact, uh, wise with weakness. 
And his works would evidence the, the wisdom of God, fear of the Lord. And this would be done in such a way uh, that it would be a humble display, not something that is to draw attention to oneself. It would be for the, the good of the community, for the glory of the Lord. And so often, again, one of the worldly ways we look at things is, is a person brash? Are they braggadocious? Are they uh, putting their, themselves forward? Are they politicking? Are they lobbying? Well, that should never happen. Uh, in fact, uh, we should almost have to drag folks into leadership because of they recognize the weight because of what James had said previously. Let not many of you be in positions of leadership because you're going to be worthy of double judgment. And so there's a sense in which we as a community have to ask this question and, and, and decide this uh, because folks are not vying for positions of authority because they recognize the weight, the gravity, and the burden. And essentially what he's saying here is, is the question really is, who among you is Christ-like? Well, is there, are, are there those of us who should not desire to be Christ-like? Even in Paul's discussion of elders and deacons in, in, in Timothy and Titus, he says this is actually something that everybody should desire. You should desire the, the qualities that would qualify one to serve in such a fashion. And so what would it look like if we were a community of people whose greatest concern was being Christ-like, looking and acting and deciding as he does? Um, and so, so this is the framework. Uh, this is part of the banks of the river that is being set for, for how we recognize God's wisdom in those around us uh, in the faith, the community of faith. And then he goes on to, to give another bank of the river. Something else that would help us to see, now if this is, this is present, some, something's off, something's wrong. This needs to be dealt with. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Let me pause there for just a second. This is actually, he's calling for proactive mortification or a proactive putting to death of the sin that so easily entangles us. And notice this and we're going to see even a little bit later, this has yet to actually manifest itself in the community. He's saying before it would even manifest itself in the community, you need to assess and check your own heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition lurking in your heart, um, then you are not to boast and be false to the truth. Essentially, he's saying, do not take my name in vain. Do not say you're something that you're not, because if you're harboring these kinds of things, they sooner or later are going to um, reap the whirlwind of thorns and thistles sown. Eventually, it's going to come out and affect the community that if you have this in your heart, you, you can't be uh, identified as one who is wise and understanding, and you must confess this. This is something that, again, I'm going to use the term mortification. It's a great uh, term that, that our forefathers used very often to describe the, the act of crucifying our, uh, something, crucifying our flesh, crucifying our desires. And so we need to be active in going through the, the different dark areas and shadowy areas of our own hearts and minds and asking, where am I bitterly jealous of what someone else has? This may show itself as a covetousness. Right? You, you may be angry that someone else has a better circumstance than you, a better job than you, a better house than you, a better school situation than you, a, a better spouse than you, better kids than you, 
uh, so you think from looking on the outside. Because this is actually going to keep us from being able to do what we are commanded to do by Paul, which is to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And this kind of bitter jealousy just leads to disunity and dysfunction and destruction. And he goes on to also say selfish ambition, which again, these things cover a multitude of things. So it's not only that you look out on those who have more than you and you're jealous toward what they have. And we also can be covetous of uh, ministry opportunities that people have. We can be covetous of lots of really good things. And so we, we have to start there. But there's also just this idea of being selfish in our ambitions. And instead of being community first, instead of considering how what we do is going to impact those around us, like we're only out for ourselves or we're only out for our families, instead of being out for the larger uh, um, uh, community and family of God and God's glory itself. Now think about how this has been tested over the last year. This has been tested in a multitude of ways from all of the political wranglings, all of the different wranglings in regards to COVID. And think about, and I'm not saying we shouldn't wrestle with these things. I'm not saying that we, we were sinful in being tempted or, or in the wrestling itself where it has gone sinful as we have not searched our own hearts in terms of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We, we have been uh, at times quick to forsake the unity of the church for something that can never net back to us eternally uh, what, what the unified church can in terms of the community around us and the loving of our neighbors. And so while we should wrestle with the truth and we should wrestle with different circumstances openly and honestly, uh, uh, we have to have something that we are all firmly founded on, something that we're coming back to, some sort of banks of the river, some lens by which we are wrestling with those things. And, and too often what I hear from people as they're wrestling with so many of these things, whether it's, like I said, the politics of the circumstance or the science or the COVID or the, the financial circumstances or even marital struggles, too often I am not hearing a concern with being Christ-like and how our behavior is going to affect our witness and our testimony uh, to the immediate community around us, as well as our neighbors and friends who are not yet part of the family of God. This has to be of greater concern to us uh, than just our bitter jealousy and our selfish ambition. And notice uh, what he goes on to say. He says, this is not wisdom that comes from above. And he's making it very clear that, that, that the wisdom of God has to come down from above. It's not born of any earthly circumstance. It's not something that we can attain to in and of our own efforts. It's something that must be gifted to us by the grace of God, which is why Paul speaks of Jesus in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 as being the wisdom of God. He is the embodiment, the incarnation of the very word of God. He is the evidence, the, the, the human display of wisdom incarnate. And so, so the wisdom that comes from Christ, the wisdom that comes from God, never produces bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Instead, the, the, the kind of wisdom that does that is earthly, meaning it's, it's temporary. It is of this world. It is fallen. It's unspiritual meaning that it is, it is not concerned with the things that are eternal, the things that matter most. It's a demonic. It's of the devil. Uh, and, and so um, it, can, it can say that God exists, but it cannot fear him in the way 
that is honoring and glorifying to him and restorative and edifying and, and, and upbuilding to us. And so we have to take stock of our own hearts. We have to take stock of the way in which we're talking about things. And that's not, that's not easy work. And we actually have to do that in community. We need to actually be critical friends to one another and to point out, maybe you don't have to prosecute every single, every single thing that's said, but we don't love each other well when we don't point out, hey, that's, that's, that didn't look anything like Jesus. Are you okay? I mean, are you maybe drifting into some, some, some bitter jealousy and some selfish ambition? And would that we would love each other well enough as a community for the sake of the community, because when we don't deal with those things in-house and the world deals with it, as we have seen how many leaders have fallen, how much damage has been done to the church in the news over the last two years, not just even in reference to the political situation, I'm just talking about our good old-fashioned uh, leaders who are falling left and right, much less some of the way that we've come out and talked about present circumstances and current events and how we've responded to each other and been divided. And so it's, it's, it's critically important that we as a community care about the, the overall wisdom and understanding that we display. Because again, that's going to affect the next generation. The more people we have that display wisdom and understanding and who look like Jesus, then the greater gift we're giving to the next generation in terms of examples and opportunities, the greater gift we're giving to, to the community around us, that we would be the kind of family they would want to be a part of. And so this is something we must take stock of and a way in which we should care for each other because if not, here's what happens. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now again, because it started in the heart, James is, is very clearly saying it starts with your, the, you assessing your own heart with you looking at yourself as a community of people, um, before all this breaks out, we must be proactive. We can't wait and just react to sin that ruptures open because then the damage is done, right? We, we, we lose people. We lose uh, members of the next gen generation and generations to come. We lose friends and neighbors in that process. And you can say, yeah, but God is sovereign. And he, he, he'll fix all that. <laughs> yes and amen. But you don't want to be held accountable for failing to be a part of that. Just as he said to those who crucified Christ, yes, it was his plan for Christ to be crucified, but woe be unto the one who participated in the crucifixion of Christ. And so it is not okay for us to just shirk our responsibility that we, we have to be active in this process. And so listen to what uh, Craig Blomberg and Miriam Camel says about this. I say bitter jealousy when combined with selfish ambition, these words are commonly used in settings of sectarian rivalry or partisan politics. Let me just pause for a second. They didn't write that statement this year. <laughs> they wrote it a number of years ago, but how prescient is it for us to, to see that these words actually are, are caught up in kind of political wrangling and, 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 and being divided over different theological issues. He says, the image appears of people in angry competition undermining one another and each fighting for their own rights. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like the church you want to be a part of? Now, praise be to God that that doesn't really define us here at Christ Community Church at current. 
it, it's, it's not been a part of who we are for the most part, but there's, there's some rumblings. There's some areas where we, we are struggling with uh, the views of others within our own church. Uh, I think we would be a, 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 a diminished church if everybody agreed to the same things above and beyond the, the critical aspects of the personal work of Christ, the character of God, and the work of the Holy Spirit, and just the power of the gospel itself. I think we would, we would, we would do ourselves a disservice and be, and be truncated if we all agreed on the same political topics, if we all agreed on whether or not masks were necessary. See, what we've had an opportunity to do is evidence, are we willing to serve each other? Are we willing to listen to each other? Right? I, I don't understand why some of you believe some of the things you believe, but that's, that's not actually me saying I think you're foolish. That's actually me confessing my own limitation. When I say I can't understand, that should be an opportunity and an opening to seek to understand. Instead, too often, that's a declaration of you are less than or you don't matter. And would that we would wrestle in the truth of the gospel and be willing to do the hard work of moving toward each other and building a unity that the gates of hell cannot, cannot in any way, shape, or form uh, um, defeat or come against. Because we are Christ's church. He goes on to say that this is a far cry from the humility of wisdom. So, so these, these churches that are caught up in bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, they, they are not the kind of communities people want to be a part of. So we have to proactively answer this question. What sparks bitter jealousy and or selfish ambition in you? See, if you, if you say, I don't know, that, that's not a bad confession. But that's not where you're to stop. You should carry this before the Holy Spirit and, and, and cry out and ask because we see the cost. We see the warning. We, 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 we see, we've seen the, the, the after effects for those of us who have been through churches that were divided and broken and, and turned on each other. It is a, a fearsome thing and this ought to cause us to regularly want to check our hearts and to pursue uh, the fruits of repentance and the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, and even uh, another question would be uh, of the uh, times you've seen these things, these poisonous fruits given, uh, come to fruition, what was the result? Like, I can't imagine any of us would, would say, man, bitter jealousy has really helped me uh, in my marriage. Uh, selfish ambition, man, my, my, my kids someday are going to uh, just sing my praises because of how, how selfish I was and what I pursued in this life. I can't imagine any church saying, what, what a wonderful uh, uh, board of elders or, or group of elders that we have that were bitter, bitter in their jealousy toward each other and selfish in each way that they pulled. It really helped keep the church right where it was and, and actually grow smaller. Those are not the kind of testimonies that we want to have. And, and so we need to hear in wisdom in humility, what James is saying, if James recognizes this is where it stands or falls, we need to lean in and listen and even more be proactive in participating. All right, let's turn back to the text and see the humble fruits of God's wisdom in verses 17 and 18. He pivots and says, but the wisdom from above, and this is a beautiful description, he says, is first pure. Now, why is that important to us? Well, it, it, it actually is him further saying this is like nothing on the earth. This is 
holy. This is set apart. This has not been in any way, shape, or form affected by the fall. This is a wisdom that, that comes from God's sinlessness, Christ's sinless life as displayed to us. So this wisdom that comes from above is something so far outside of ourselves that it is a gift, a gift of God's grace. It is pure. And then out of that purity, here's what comes. Here's the benefit. He says, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. That means they're willing to listen. That means that they're willing to recognize their own limitations. That 1 Corinthians 13, when it says that we see through a glass half darkly, we don't see it through a glass half darkly as far as Christ is concerned. That has been made vivid and clear. We don't see uh, half darkly as far as the character of God is concerned or the role of the Holy Spirit or the truth of the gospel. But when it comes to the politics of the age, the, the, the different um, uh, social circumstances of the age, the different situations in which we find ourselves with our friends and neighbors, these are areas of wisdom. And we, because we don't have it natural, have to receive it from above. So we see through a glass darkly until God makes clear in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to be open to reason for that. We need to be willing to listen and esteem others as greater than ourselves. He says it is full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, what's interesting about this list is they're not nouns. They're not, they're not commands, so they're not verbs. Uh, I would argue, as have others, that they are vivifying adverbs. They are vivid descriptions of what it looks like to be Christ-like. Now, we would be foolish to take this only as the only list and description of that because Paul, James, Peter, they, they have different ways in which they describe it, but all of them have essentially the same characteristics. You actually could take these and match them with the fruit of the Spirit. Essentially, he's saying we should love God and love our neighbor, that this pure wisdom that we have should result in a greater love of God, greater love of our neighbor. Look at how all of these, again, are relational. Is it, does it make sense to be peaceable to yourself? No, you, you can only be peaceable in reference to other people. So first and foremost, Christ reconciles us, makes us at peace with God. This is part of our fear of the Lord that we have been restored to Him, and that affords us the ability to be at peace with those around us, not just in our church community, but even sinners, that we would actually be able to offer them peace and reconciliation in Christ. Does it make sense to be gentle all by yourself? No, that's, again, that's relational. Look at how gentle God the Father was toward us in sending the Son and that the stroke that would, would, would be struck as a result of our sin, the, the full satisfaction of His wrath doesn't fall on us. It falls fully on Christ. It is His body that is given for us and broken, His blood that is spilled, not ours. And so that affords us the ability to be gentle with our neighbors. It's not for us to, we didn't become judges because of Christ's redeeming us. That's not what we were left here to be, right? And so what we are here to do is be ambassadors of reconciliation, open to reason I've already talked about, full of mercy and good fruits. Think about that, to, to, to be willing to forgive, to be willing to uh, pursue, to be willing to receive forgiveness from. What a gift that we would be quick to apply the beauty and the truth of the gospel 
to those around us that we wouldn't prosecute someone so quickly for a bad idea or, or bad upbringing or uh, foolishness in terms of their own bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition. These aren't things that we are to prosecute in others. We're to deal with them proactively in our own hearts, mortifying them and then vividly displaying the characteristics of Christ, Christ's likeness, God's wisdom for the life of the world. And again, notice all of these, to be impart what, what good does it do me to be impartial to myself? What does it mean to be impartial to, to, to a neighbor I disagree with? What does it mean to, to, to actually seek to be impartial with someone in my own home who I've gotten sideways with? What, what does this look like if not Christ. And certainly sincere. Again, this is not for our own gain. We don't do this. We don't seek to, to display God's wisdom and characteristics in the world so that we would be made much of. No, we do it sincerely so that God would be glorified. And listen at the result. James uses gardening language for reason. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Now, it's very important that we recognize the, the language here. A harvest of righteousness is just, again, is a summative way of saying all of the good things about God's promises and God's kingdom are sown by people who look like Jesus. Now, notice what hasn't happened yet, the reaping. This is cultivating. This is uh, we who are in a fallen world are constantly uh, in the process of farming, tilling, breaking up the soil, planting the seed of God's word. word. But who gives the increase? It's God. God does. It is God who will decide when it will bear fruit. But we are to be uh, those who seek to make peace. Peace, uh, not, not, not some sort of cheap peace, not some sort of uh, uh, roll over and give up kind of peace, but the real peace that comes from loving someone who is unlovely or disagrees with us or doesn't look like us. It, it comes from being willing to, to sacrifice and mutually submit in a community of people for the greater good, laying aside our selfish ambitions, giving up our bitter jealousies so that others could be exalted and uplifted in the person and work of Christ so that God would be glorified. What a gift it, it is and will be, continue to be, to be a part of a community that is concerned about those things and looks like that and, and is willing to let those be the banks of the river as opposed to all of the little individualistic ideas, all the different uh, individualistic personal theologies. It's interesting to me that most of the places where we get off are really just self-serving. Uh, rarely do I hear anybody come up with a, a weird political idea or a weird theology that actually is costly to them, like the gospel. And so we need to be a people who are proactive in mortifying uh, the, the bitter jealousies and selfish ambitions and are proactive in wanting to see and live out the vivid uh, characteristics of Christ. And so listen at what um, Thomas Manton says, a, a, a Puritan saint that has gone before us. He says, the wisdom required in the world is a holy innocence, not a Machiavellian guile. Now, for those of you who don't know who Machiavelli was, he wrote a book called The Prince, and essentially it's about how to be manipulative in politics. So essentially he's saying that wisdom required in the world is a holy innocence, not a political manipulation. 
right? Or manipulation of those around us. It is the glory of a person to be a fool in sin and wise in grace. Be careful then to pursue the great plan of holiness. This will make you conform to God, which is humanity's excellence. It will bring you to enjoy God, which is humanity's happiness. So what evidence is that you are wise and understanding according to God's wisdom? If you went back and looked at those vivifying adverbs, do they describe you in any way, shape, or form? And if those things are absent for some reason in your life or in our community, then please pray for them. Cry out to the Spirit for those to be displayed in you. Figure out where it is that you need to grow and what it is you need in order to grow. Don't be afraid to say, and I struggle with being gentle. I can tell you right now, I struggle with being gentle. I, I, I struggle um, with, with being full of mercy, right? Those are, those, at different times, those things are a real struggle, but that's not, it's not enough for me to say I struggle with those things and leave it there. Am I wrestling with all the heavenly blessings that I've been granted to grow in Christ-likeness and, and display these vivid and beautiful characteristics of Christ. And then what has been the result of these humble fruits being displayed in your life? It's the fruits of repentance and essentially the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> who loses when those things are displayed in us? Who, who would say, man, I can't stand the fact that these people are so quick to, to repent and forgive, so quick to, to, to love and to give? No one says that. And so what an opportunity we have to vividly display the beauty of what it means to be in union with Christ and to have received God's wisdom to live out in both word and deed. So James 3, 13 through 18 teaches us that God's wisdom mortifies or puts to death our bitter jealousies and selfish ambitions and humbly produces or vivifies the fruits of repentance and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Would you join me and, and being proactive in seeking out the, the things in the darkness of our heart, that those bitter jealousies and those selfish ambitions, but also join me in praying that the person of Christ in whom we are in union with and the glory of God, God's wisdom would be displayed vividly in and through us, not just as individuals, but as, as Christ's church in this area. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you warn us that you, before it breaks out in our midst, call for us to recognize the darkness of our own heart. That you call us to do that so that it can be mortified or put to death, crucified in Christ, so that we walk not in condemnation for having struggled with it or even failed in that regard, but instead are able to walk in freedom and newness of life so as to vividly display the fruits of repentance and the fruit of the Spirit those things that most look like Jesus. God, would you help us as a church community? Each individual has to wrestle with it, but also help us wrestle with it as groups of people, whether it's through small groups or different discipleship groups or just having discussions with each other. Would you help us grow in, in critically serving and loving one another to this end? That we would be able to look around and answer who is wise and understanding among you and not find so few but instead have an abundance of riches so as to serve the coming generations for your glory and their eternal lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.